0: Alright, well good morning again. Welcome to H2O. My name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't got a chance to meet you and we are excited to continue on with our series. If you've been with us you know that we're working through the book of Proverbs this summer, and uh, Proverbs has been a book that is really designed to give us wisdom for living life, and I think it's very timely as we look at our world because uh, there is so much wisdom that applies to where we are at this world, and we've talked about the, the difference that Proverbs isn't just about giving us knowledge or facts, but it is about giving us actual wisdom to live the abundant life that God calls us to live as we face and walk in this world. That's why we're calling this series Walking in Wisdom. So if you're not familiar with what Proverbs is, it is a a collection of writings and sayings that is in the Old Testament. Uh, It's served, it's it's intended to serve as a a guide for daily life. And there's a lot of different topics, a lot of different themes that are covered throughout uh, the Proverbs, things like our relationships, things like evaluating what it looks like to live in a world with so much diversity and so much strife, evaluating what poverty and what wealth can look like and what power it looks like within our world, and it's all designed to help us point towards what it looks like to walk with God in a complex world. So today, we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 11. It's a a proverb that has been meaningful to me here recently, and as we do, I wanted to start off with asking you this question and, and asking if you've ever found yourself saying this phrase to yourself, either out loud or just in your head, have you ever uttered something along the lines of what's in it for me? Have you ever found yourself asking that question or maybe having that that mentality? Well, what's in it for me? Maybe it's at work and somebody asks you to do something you're not sure they should have asked you to do. And so either out loud or in your head, you say, what's in it for me? Or maybe you're married or in a relationship and and you're discussing what your relationship looks like. And you're you're tempted to ask that question, what's in it for me? Uh, There's so many different realms of our world where we're tempted to ask that question, what's in it for me? Uh, The problem that we're going to look at today answers that question to a certain extent when it comes to our relationship with God. Before we do, I want to share a story of what happened this past week. I, I talk about my kids a lot because I think that there's a lot of things that happen within our family life that, that relate to our, our spiritual lives as well. And so uh, my youngest son is playing baseball this season, and uh, he's a nine-year-old. And so like a lot of nine-year-olds, it's an up and down season. Some games are going great. Other games aren't going that well. He'd been in a little bit of a hitting slump. Well, on Thursday, all of a sudden, he started hitting really well. He's up to bat against a particular team, or we're playing on a big field. They're only nine years old, so he, hitting a, a home run over the fence wasn't a possibility, but he gets up to bat, and he crushes the ball all the way to the fence, and he's a pretty fast kid. He runs all the way around the bases and comes in to score in the home plate, slides around the tag, and hits an in-the-park home run, okay? Now, for a nine-year-old, that's a pretty exciting experience, right? And so I'm the assistant to the assistant on that team. So I'm on the bench and, uh, and I'm like, man, buddy, that's awesome. His teammates are going crazy. Everybody is cheering. Everybody's excited. They're wild. You know, they're nine-year-olds. They're just so excited. And so m- my son, he comes up to me and he says, dad, right away. i I'm still in, soaking in the excitement. Dad, you got to take me to get ice cream. I just hit a home run. You got to take me to get ice cream. And I'm like, buddy, that's a, congratulations. That's so cool. Way to, way to go, man. I'm happy for you. Dad, what are you going to buy me? I just hit a home run. You know, he, he, he wanted to add to his experiences. I didn't want to diminish his moment, but I was just like, Isaac, hey, that is awesome. But listen, buddy, you don't get anything for hitting a home run. The, the, the joy of hitting a home run is you just hit a home run. Soak that in. Experience the moment. Enjoy it with your teammates. There's nothing else that you could add to this moment. You just got the the reward. It was the hit. It was making your team excited. It was enjoying this moment. So, no, I'm not going to take you to ice cream. I'll do that when you strike out, you know, three times in a row or whatever. Just enjoy this experience. The, The reward is in what just happened. The reward is in the moment. You don't need to add to it. You don't get anything else for that experience. And I was thinking about that, you know, that little life lesson that I had with my nine-year-old. And I was thinking about many of us and our relationship with God. Aren't we tempted oftentimes to to ask, God, I want to follow you. God, I know what your word says, but what's in it for me? What what else do I get? What else can you kind of sprinkle on top so that I can... Feel like this experience is, is all that it's cracked up to be. God, I, I know that you say that your word gives us abundant life, and I know you say walking with you does, but but what else are you gonna give me? What trip to the, the store or some ice? Can you throw in some ice cream? We're tempted to think that God owes us something at times. We're tempted to think if we follow God, then things should just fall into place. Maybe the perfect relationship should happen, or we should make a certain amount of money if we're following God. We're tempted to think that we need more, but here's the big idea from Proverbs chapter 11 today is that living for God is its own reward. Living for God is in itself its own reward. When we follow God and we follow what he offers to us as is laid out here in Proverbs chapter 11, that is all the reward that we need. And so as we come to this passage, let's open up our hearts. Let's open up our minds and let's wrestle with what it looks like to walk in the abundant life that God offers us as we live for him and we experience the beauty that comes from walking with our creator, the creator of the universe. So let's open up the pages of scripture together. Proverbs chapter 11. We're gonna just make it through the first eight verses as we've talked about within the book of Proverbs. It's almost like every verse is its own sermon. So it's rare for us to make it through a whole chapter when we're teaching because there's so much in each one of these chapters. So we're gonna make it through eight verses that I think tie together this reality that living for God is its own reward. Let's look at verse one. It says this, says the Lord detest dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Let's stop right there. It leads us to our first point. Right living with God will lead to abundant life. Right living with God will lead to abundant life. Now this word righteousness is talked about here often in proverbs chapter 11 and that word righteous in our world in our society can kind of mean a lot of different things you can say that's righteous which means you know like that's cool or that's great we've also taken the word righteous I don't know if anybody says that anymore or not but we've also taken the word righteous and it can almost become a negative thing in our world in our culture right Oh, that person is self-righteous. Oh, that person thinks that they're better than me. That person thinks that they're so righteous. But when the author of Proverbs here is talking about righteousness, they're talking about right living, trusting, walking with, living in the path that God has called us to live for. So it is a very good thing when the author of Proverbs is talking about this righteous reality that God has called us to live to live in. And so he starts with talking about this honesty in the way that we live our lives. He says that the Lord dis, det, detests dishonest scales. Now what would happen during those times, let me unpack that verse and that passage for you just a little bit. What would happen is there would be marketplaces and they're not regulated like our, our monetary system is nowadays, you know, it was a much different world 3,000 years ago. So you would show up at the marketplace and you would be kind of at the mercy of the the merchants that were at the marketplace. So you would go to buy or sell something, and the person that was buying or selling you something would have a scale, you know, one of those scales that would weigh things out. And it was common practice during that time for people to be deceptive. And so they would weight their scale for their own benefit. If they were selling you something, like a pound of flour or a pound of of salt or something like that, they would have a certain set of weights for when they were selling you things that would be for their benefit. So it would be a little bit heavier on their side. So they would say they were selling you a pound of flour or a pound of salt, but it may only have been a half a pound, but they would make their scales look like they were selling you a full pound. Or if they were buying from you, they would do it the opposite way. They had things rigged so that they could rip you off. And the scriptures say, listen, the way that you live your life, even in the marketplace, is effective and the way that you live your life holistically. See, sometimes we're tempted to kind of compartmentalize our lives, aren't we? I live a certain way when I'm with my family. I live a different way when I'm with my friends, when I'm at school, when I'm at work. And then I live definitely a different way when I'm at church. And what the author of Proverbs is saying, listen, it is all working together holistically. If you're going to follow God, if you're going to live a righteous life, make sure that everywhere you go, whether it's the marketplace, whether it's the, the church hall, wherever you find yourself, live a consistent righteous life before God because God cannot stand when we use things in our life to build ourselves up, when we rip other people off to try to steal from them or build up our own kingdoms. It says that the Lord detest that type of behavior. So a heart check for all of us is, are we honest? Are we consistent in the way that we live our lives? Not just when we show up here on Sunday mornings. That's easy. But as we go throughout our week, in, the, in our jobs, within our families, do we live a consistent life before God? He also goes on to talk about pride versus humility. And, and, and I think it's interesting because Proverbs talk a lot about pride. Even in the first four or five weeks of this series, that theme has come up often. And pride is something that is always so much easier to recognize in other people than it is in our own life, isn't it? It's so easy to look at other people. Oh, that person's arrogant. Oh, that person thinks that they're awesome. Oh, what's wrong with that person? But it's a little bit harder to t- detect within our own hearts or within our own lives, isn't it? And so that's why we talk about often here at H.O. that we need people in our lives that can help point us towards God, that help, can help keep us humble. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Another way of saying that is pride comes before the fall. So the higher that we puff ourselves up, whether it's intentional or unintentional, so much further we have to fall when we make mistakes. But with humility comes wisdom. There's something wise about knowing our proper place, about knowing the humility that comes from walking with and knowing and following God and living in community that can help us know and follow him. And then in verse four, he talks about wealth. He says, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You know, one of the things that we're tempted to believe in a lie that our world has continually thrown at us and it must have been for the last 1,000 years because Solomon was telling us about it 3,000 years ago, is that our wealth, that what we have in our bank accounts can save us, that our wealth, that what we compile, it can lead to abundant life. We're tempted to believe that the, the comfier our life is, the better the material things that we have, then that's what abundant life looks like, to be comfortable, to have it all made, to have security financially. And here, the author of Proverbs is saying, listen, all of us are on a level playing field. All of us someday, and this is a heavy thought, but it's a reality thought that we need to have as we're here, all of us someday will stand before the God of the universe and give an account for the life that we live. And in that moment, how much we have or how much we've made does not matter at all. We can't buy favor with God. What matters is what we've used our resources for to be a blessing in whose kingdom and whose glory we've tried to prop up. You know, there's this old phrase back when I was in high school and college that always drove me crazy once I became a follower of Christ. It said, whoever dies with the most toys wins. Uh, they put it on bumper stickers and on t-shirts for a while. And I remember seeing that phrase and thinking, what deception What deception is in that line? Whoever dies with the most toys wins. It's like the more and more you have, the better your life is. But the reality is we will all stand before God. Whoever dies with the most toys still dies. And the question is, what is our response to God? What have we used what God has blessed us with to make an impact for? Now, wealth is worthless when we stand before God. It literally means nothing. All that matters is whether we said yes to Jesus or not. So the question is, what do we use our wealth and the things that God has blessed us to, to build into it for? All right, let's jump back in. Verse five, Proverbs chapter eleven, verse five. It says, "The righteousness of the blameless makes their path straight, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness." Verse six. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. Is this to our second point? Is this sin always seems fun until it's not? Sin always seems fun until it's not. And as you think about your life, I think that's probably pretty true. I know I've seen it play out in my life and in so many others' lives. Sin can seem enticing in the moment, but it always leads to ruin over the long term. I remember leading a Bible study not too long ago with a bunch of college students. One of the things I love about young people in particular is they tend to be a little bit more raw and a little bit more honest at times. And as we're in this Bible study, we're talking about just following God and specifically we're talking about following God while people are in college. And I remember this one girl saying something that that I think kind of hit the nail on the head for how a lot of us feel. She said, I'm really trying to follow God. I'm really trying to live a righteous life, so to speak. I really want to, to do what's right and follow God and live in the abundant way that God offers me. But as I look at the people around me, as I look at my friends in the residence halls, and I see them not doing that, it sure seems like they're having a lot more fun. Sure seems like they're having a lot more fun. I remember just thinking, gosh, isn't that tempting to believe? It it is very tempting, I think for all of us, if we're honest, we've had moments where we think it just seems a little bit more fun to pursue the things of the world than to pursue the righteous ways that God calls us to live. But here's what Proverbs teaches us, and this is the truth, not the illusion that sometimes we're tempted to believe, but this is the truth, that eventually sin always leads to our downfall. Well, it may start off seeming fun. Well, it may start off seeming enjoyable. It always leads to our downfall. Sin always separates. Sin always brings pain. Sin always brings harm into our life. You know, think about some of the sins that that, that are kind of glorified within our world. Think about some of the things that you can turn on any TV show or, or pop up any video on your, fun, or on your, on your phone and, and, and it's made out to seem fun. Things like drunkenness, things like sexual immorality. And when you look at those things on the surface, they may seem fun, but have you seen them play out over time? Drunkenness isn't that fun when it becomes a lifestyle of yours and you can't stop. Sexual immorality isn't that fun when you find yourself in a place where you are continuing to hurt the people around you because you can't control yourself or can't control the desires that you have. See, sin consumes us. There's something about humanity that we're we're not content just starting and staying there. We continue to dive into it deeper and deeper. That's why Proverbs says we can become trapped in our brokenness. We can become trapped in our sin. Sin has a way of doing that to us. Wickedness has a way of bringing ourselves down. See, a lot of hardships in life, some of them are out of our control. There's sometimes the hardships come into our life that we have no control over, but many and much of the pain that we face in life is a result of sin, our own sin or the sin of people in our lives, sin that probably started off looking fun, looking like it was enticing, but leading to destruction and pain. I love in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, it's talking about the uh, the great heroes of the faith that have went before us. And it says in, in verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could have settled for the luxury of the palace in, in Egypt during that time, but it says rather he chose to be mistreated with God's people than to enjoy catch this phrase, the fleeting pleasure of sin, the fleeting pleasure of sin. The Bible's honest with us enough to tell us that sin may have a momentary pleasure, but it's fleeting. It doesn't last very long. The abundant life that Jesus offers us exists right here, right now, and it exists for eternity. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus tells us, The thief, the evil one, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come to give you life, and life abundantly. So as we look at the pages of Scripture, we have to be pointed to the truth, that sin separates, that sin leads to our downfall, that sin leads to our destruction. So let's turn from it and follow God. And the reward for following God is walking with and knowing him. The reward for following God is living the abundant life that God has to offer us. And it does pay off. It pays off in this world and it pays off in the future and eternity. Let's jump back in and close up with this final section. Proverbs chapter 11, verses seven and eight. It says, hopes placed in mortals die with them. All the promise of their power comes to nothing. The righteous person is rescued from trouble, and it falls on the wicked instead. Third and finally is this, Jesus is our only real hope. Jesus is our only real hope. I I love that verse seven. I've been reflecting on that a lot this week as I've been studying this passage. Hopes placed in mortals die with them. And as I was reflecting on that passage this week, I was just thinking about human history. Again, this is written 3,000 years ago. I was thinking about all the different times over the past thousands of years where there's been individuals or maybe even societies that got excited, that got worked up, that put their hope in a particular earthly leader. And you can think about all the different political leaders that that our world has had, both both current and past, and and all the different times where, where worlds and peoples and society were so excited to follow somebody because they offered hope. They're like, man, I want to follow this person. I want to be part of this movement. There's something hopeful about it. And then I was thinking about what has happened throughout the the course of human history and how every single one of those human leaders, no matter whether they were great or whether they were horrible, no matter whether they did good things or they did things that ended up making our world a much worse place, I was thinking about all of them. And you know what's happened to all of them? They've died they've died. Hope placed in mortals dies with them. Think about that reality. That's what makes the gospel different. That's what makes Jesus different. He's the only one who has defeated death and risen from the the grave. And so Jesus is the only one that gives us real hope because Jesus is offered to us as life and life abundantly. No matter how great or how weak a leader is, they cannot offer us eternal hope. They cannot offer us something that lasts beyond this life, but Jesus does. And as you think about our world and our society, we're so tempted to follow particular leaders that offer us some type of hope. We're so tempted to follow that. And the reality is, as humans, we were made to worship. The reason why we're so tempted. to to jump on a bandwagon and, and follow somebody who's offering us something other than Jesus is because as humans, we were made to worship. That's how God designed us. And so we were made to hope. We were made to follow someone or something. Every single human, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, will worship something. They'll give their energy to it. They'll give their time to it. They'll give their passions to it. Every single one of us will worship something. The question is, are we worshiping someone who can give us real hope? eternal hope? Or are we worshiping something that's just temporary, that won't outlast their own life? We were made to worship, but hope placed in mortals, it dies with them. Hope placed in Jesus, it lives for eternity and gives us the abundant life that he offers each and every one of us. That is our reward, experiencing and walking with God. You know, I, I love how the the proverb here. Uh, in in verse six, it says, but the, the unfaithful are trapped in their evil desires. And then in verse eight, it says the righteous person is rescued from trouble. And I don't know where you find yourself. You know, we've talked about the reality of sin here today, but some of us might feel trapped in our own desires. Some of us might feel trapped And sin that we've been kind of enticed into. But I want to give you hope here today because the hope of the gospel isn't just hope for eternity. It's hope for abundant life now that we can walk and experience God. That's why God sent Jesus, so we could experience him. I was thinking about this reality of being trapped and this reality of God breaking through and this experience that i had when when my middle son was about 4 or 5 years old me and a few of our other families we were we were out uh, in town and we went to this this particular building it was actually a church here in town and uh, we were having a meeting and all of our kids were together and my, my middle son was about 4 years old and the building that we were in was a, was an older building and my my son went to the restroom by himself he locked the door and he's he's in the restroom. It's just a one-person restroom. The the lock on the door had like a malfunction and he couldn't get out of the bathroom. And so at first we're like, okay, you know, no big deal. And we're talking to him through the door. It's okay, buddy. You know, it's going to be all right. And he's getting a little bit more anxious. He's trapped in the bathroom. He's four years old. He has no power on his own to get out of the bathroom. We're saying, it's going to be all right. Don't worry. And so we're trying to figure out what in the world to do can't get into him, trying to walk him through how to get the lock unlocked. He can't do it. And so as time goes on, he starts getting more and more anxious. And we can tell he's in there by himself getting worked up. You know, he's afraid. He's separated from us. He's trapped. And as he's starting to get worked up, I'm starting to get worked up. My wife is starting to get worked up because no one wants to see their kid, you know, feeling that type of fear and that type of separation. And so things go on a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And finally, it's been like 15 minutes. We're not working this out. There's got to come to a, a solution. And so me and another guy with me say, scooch to the back of the bathroom. And we start slamming our shoulder into the door. It's a wooden door, thankfully. It wasn't you know, like a steel one. Slamming the door, slamming our shoulder into the door and eventually break through the door so that my son could get out of the restroom. And I was thinking about that experience. It's like, you know, as a parent, that's, that's what any of us would do, right? You got a little kid that's separated from you that can't find his way back. You're willing to, like, break something down to, to get him back to you, aren't you? And one of the most profound things that the Bible teaches us about God, one of the things that separates Christianity from many, if not all, of the other religions is that the God that we serve is like a loving father. He's a perfect loving father. And so if me, an imperfect father, is willing to break down a door to get back to my son, imagine the extent that God is willing to go to to move each and every one of us back into a right relationship with him. You know, the unfaithful, they're trapped by their evil desires. Each and every one of us, in our own sin, in our own brokenness, it's like we're trapped. And there's nothing we can do to get back to God. But God, and his love, and his kindness, and his graciousness, he's willing to break down that door. He's willing to go to the extent that we can't imagine to reunite us with him. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, to walk in the earth, to live a perfect life. And for the reward that he got for living a perfect life was being sent to the cross to be crucified, tortured, and killed. But he didn't stay there. He broke through the door. He rose again so that he could show us that he, the life that he offers is eternal and it's real and it's abundant. And each one of us has a decision to make. Do we wanna say yes to him? Do we wanna respond to that act of love that he gave for each and every one of us? Or do we wanna stay trapped in our own sin and our own brokenness? God wants to break through. To rescue us from the trouble that we find ourselves in, we can't rescue ourselves. Only God can rescue us. Living for Him, that's the type of God I want to serve. A God that's willing to do anything to bring me back into a relationship with Him. And so, for each and every one of us, we have a, a question to answer What are we going to say? What are we going to say to Him? We're we going to stay stuck in our sin and our, our own pride are we going to say, yes, God, I surrender. I want to worship not a mere mortal, not even myself. I want to worship you with everything that I have. I want to turn my life over to you so I can experience the abundant life that you have to offer. I want to ask you to consider doing that here today. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band up, and we're going to spend some time worshiping together.